Life Audio. Hey, welcome back to the Gospel Rant. I'm Dr. Bill Sinyard with Gospel App Ministries, www.gospel-app.com. We're still in the Sermon on the Mount. We'll actually be on the Sermon on the Mount through January, and I'm pretty sure that after that we'll pick up around Valentine's Day, we'll actually pick up the uh, Song of Songs, the Song of Songs of Solomon in the Old Testament. It was the topic of a first book that I co-authored with Colleen Pepper back in 2010, and digging more into it, I think, oh my goodness, I just think it's it's time for a series on the Song of Songs, and it's, it's not what you're thinking. Uh, I think it'll be a head-popping sermon series or a podcast series. I think you'll enjoy it, okay? But now we're in the Sermon on the Mount, and we're talking about God's real beef with money. Oh my goodness, that's right. We're talking about money. So how are we supposed to deal with money and see it and use it or not use it? Uh, Matthew 6.19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Yeah. Okay, Jesus. Yeah. That sounds good. And part of me wants to, but like the rest of the teachings in the Sermon on Mount, I mean, I'm picking up this theme, uh, I won't. Uh, not enough, I can't. And, what you know, what does enough mean? And even if I wanted to, right, how would I do it? PayPal, Zelle, do I get airline points? Is it tax deductible? Does Wells Fargo have a branch? So I should do that. I should want to, but, you know... I still have to live here, and I still have to be a good steward of money, right? Jesus says so. If I'm a foolish servant, will I get to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant, right? It's very confusing. And remember, the people on the hillside in Galilee, the the, uh, objects of the Sermon on the Mount, they likely weren't Elon Musk and Bill Gates and Alice Walton. Uh, At least I don't think so. So why is Jesus bringing up money to them? So this is a very important gospel rant, very timely um, you've no doubt struggled with, with money. Uh, if not, you will, or lack of money. Uh, you've wondered, should I be tithing more or should I be tithing at all? Uh, listen, you're not the only one. You're not alone. Help us get this podcast to other people who are asking the same question. They might just thank you. Uh, pushback, Bill, at gospel-app.com. Before we get into it, first, a word from our sponsors. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. But look around you, your family, your faith, they're not in the way. They are the way. From the creators of Jesus Revolution comes the incredible true story. It's going to be dangerous and scary and giving up. It's not an option. The story of one family's journey from down under to center stage. Unsung Hero, a for King and Country film starring Candace Cameron Bure and Terry O'Quinn. In theaters now. 
Visit unsunghero.movie to learn more. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Hey, welcome back. All right. Uh, Matthew six nineteen to 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. All right, so before I get started, I want to say this is a shame-free, guilt-free podcast. Uh, Man, this passage, I get it. It's been preached all over the world for centuries uh, in, in a way to convince Christians that uh, they should tithe more. Um, uh, We're not going to do that here. We're just not, okay? So I just wanted to say that up front, and I'll say more later. All right, 619, do not store up. The Greek is thesaritso. Literally, technically, it means to keep, where do you keep some material things safe by storing it? Uh, Your treasures is the word thesaurus, right? It comes from the same root, so it's the stuff that you put in storehouses or banks to protect. Matthew's being cute. And uh, he's talking about upon the earth, I mean here in in, uh, terra firma, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. I imagine Jesus is smiling as he's saying this, and he's doing hand actions, right? This moth eating away, or maybe he's uh, imagining a person reaching into a pocket and grabbing coin. I imagine him having fun with the crowd here. Remember, likely most of the people on the hillside, maybe all of them, weren't wealthy at all. I mean, this was not a problem for them where to put their money. I mean, they spent it. At the end of the day, they probably didn't have much. Uh, So, Most are broken and have very little to put anywhere uh, safe. So in one sense, Jesus on the surface might appear tin-eared here. I mean, insensitive. Jesus, come on, read the room. This is not a priority for these men and women. Or maybe he's speaking directly to wealthy Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees who might be listening in. I'm I'm not assuming that all Pharisees and Sadducees were wealthy, but some were. So the poor in the crowd, you know, maybe maybe they can hold this one loosely, or could they? I mean, it's legit to ask the question, what might the poor be treasuring? Is it lingering reputation? Are they treasuring their victimization, uh, anger, their fears? Victims hold on to their wounds like treasures. Boy, they store them up in their amygdalas, in their hippocampus. So we all serve masters, right? All right, this is as good as any place to take another break for sponsors. That way we can just finish the whole thing all the way through. I'll be right back. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. 
the Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. All right, Matthew 620. But, so don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth, but instead store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And again, I think Jesus is going to play the crowd uh, when he repeats himself here, basically. All right, sounds fine. But honestly, what what does that look like? Like I said in the introduction. And by the way, remember the daily bread comment I made about the Lord's Prayer in one of the previous podcasts? I get it that I should trust God in heaven that much, but I don't. I store up wealth. It's part of good stewardship. I'm an American. God bless America. And if I dare to admit it, because to one degree or another, the reason I store it up here is I just really don't think I can trust God to provide. To one degree or another, a little or a lot. And my problem is not which bank to put it in. My problem is, yeah, my faith and trust is leaky. Does it make sense? Don't judge me. <laughs> but then there is the practical. Like I said, how do I deposit check in heaven? Um, I mean, I certainly don't want to invest in Bitcoin lately. And as importantly, how do I make a withdrawal from the heavenly bank? I mean, so what does it mean? Put money up there? I'm not going to need money when I get to heaven, right? <laughs> Am I mixing metaphors too much? And so what if moths don't eat it up? And what if, uh, you know, the, the heavenly bank doesn't, isn't subjected to thieves? But because if I can't access it, it's as if it's been stolen. It's the same result. So logically, it seems like I would take my chances here with Wells Fargo. All right. While my brain is trying to make all sense of this, trying to figure out what the metaphor is and what Jesus is trying to say, he drops the punchline. It's brilliant. Look, it's, it's not a money problem. It's a heart problem. It has nothing to do with your retirement portfolio strategy. It just does not. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Yeah, we're going to unpack that. But the next verse, if the eye of the lamp, he does change metaphors, right? Midstream, Jesus does this. And again, I get it. Uh, I like it, but let's see what he's saying. He's, he's unpacking 621. If the, the eye of is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, the word is haplus in the Greek, your whole body will be filled of 
light or radiance. I mean, it's observable. So good hoplus is is you're above board without guile. You're not trying to control or manipulate or do something hidden. You don't have a questionable agenda. You're not manipulating. Uh, you are what you are. And and radiant, the light is it's observable. I mean, people see. That's the idea. Six twenty three. But if your eye if your eyes are bad, and the word is pornos, uh, where we get pornography. If your eyes or pornos, your whole body was filled with darkness, uh, skotos. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? I mean, you can see he's building up to a crescendo here. So pornos, it's often related to selfish, using, manipulating, leveraging, voracious love. Uh, it's pornography. It's a needy uh, choosing to devour others, to use others, to objectify others, to satisfy your inner longings, addictions, and desires, and to use the others for your sake. It cares nothing for the others. So porn eyes would be, you know, looking at the world and others and job and wealth uh, for what it can do for you. And you're going to manipulate that. You're not going to worry about others. You're not going to care about their well-being. The porn eyes care about you, your supposed happiness, your security, your longings, your fears. It's linked to relational darkness, Jesus says. Here's one Bible uh, dictionary on darkness, skotos. As in the Greek world, darkness describes the whole range of the harmful or evil in the sense of a threat to life, of what is bad for me, as well as that of moral evil or fatal. Hence, the Old Testament depicts darkness as a symbol of limitation, restraint, and affliction, Isaiah 9.1. Mankind belongs to this fear, darkness, by nature. Um, then they will look towards the earth, quoting uh, Isaiah 8.22, and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. It should be noted that here the term darkness is used chiefly in a sense influenced by theological considerations. Darkness is the place where the light of God does not shine. So this is me speaking, add loneliness to all of this. Back to the quote. When people separate themselves from God by disobedience, darkness remains. By contrast, God illumines the darkness for those who fear him. The person who walks through the valley of deep darkness need not fear, for darkness is not dark to God, nor to those who will be led by him. Although God allows darkness to exercise a certain power, even exposing the righteous to to its terrors, and although he wraps himself in impenetrable darkness, the promise remains that the people who walked in darkness will see a great light, Isaiah 9-2, which is a close quote, which is, by the way, the very verse that Matthew uh, brings up to speak of Jesus walking through Galilee and Jesus on this hillside speaking. He is speaking light into the darkness, and it's a great light into great darkness. <clears throat> okay. It strikes me that as I think about this, that most of the people whom Jesus is speaking to on the hillside would say that for the most of their lives, they get it. They get this darkness thing. That's been, that's their jam is this darkness and how to survive in it. They're poor in spirit and poor in spirit, man, you know, for survival purposes, they focus on their own victimizations and stories and 
Honestly, they have little room for being concerned and empathetic to others. It's about survival and no judgment, right? But on that hillside, they're beginning to experience light. It's a different kind of light. It's a different kind of love, not pornea, but agape. Uh, in many ways, the opposite of pornea. They're beginning to feel more, uh, at least a little bit, other-oriented because they're experiencing the light, the great light, Isaiah 9. And, and that's Jesus's overarching point in the, the entire sermon, sermon on the Mount. If you're beginning to feel his love for others, his care for others, his empathy towards others, you are going to lust less. You're going to be angry at them less. I mean, think of the earlier verses in the Sermon on the Mount. You will not do adultery as much or divorce. Fill in the blank. And it will affect how you pray. Remember the last couple of podcasts, and it's going to affect how you look at money and treat wealth or lack of each. You will look at wealth less about what it can do for you and see it more for what it can do for others, what it can do for the kingdom. And no guilt, I'm just saying. That's the message of the Sermon on the Mount, that people grabbed by Jesus's love are going to love differently, a little or a lot. Not in pornea, right? Trying to figure out what, what, what all of those people can do for you to make you feel better about yourself, to satisfy your voracious hungers. It's it's what uh, you can do for them, not because you have to, right? I'm not shaming or guilting. It's because something has changed inside of you and your new heart, their access to the spirit, and you're beginning to want to. So it has nothing to do, really, with where they put their coin. That's, uh, that's bearing the headline. It has to do with being changed by Jesus, being filled with his spirit, his spirit's faith and love, and then, then doing what your heart actually wants to do because it's been changed a little or a lot. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. He's just building on this. Either he's going to hate the one. He keeps changing metaphors, by the way. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money or mammon. So mammon, look, don't think about some deity. Uh, I've heard that before. I don't think that's the case here. It's just an Aramaic borrowed word for what you would expect, wealth, material gain, and money. Uh, not another pagan god, right? So again, Jesus isn't talking about which bank to use, an earthly bank or a heavenly bank. He's speaking about this relationship with God, uh, a function of trust. So where do you and I find our security, our hope? Remember the prayer, give us this day our daily bread. I said then that I don't know anyone who would truly say that boldly if they knew what they were asking. My brain's insecurity is jonesing for not just brain every day, to be taken care of every day. I want it I want it a week. I want it a month. I want to, I mean, I'm approaching retirement. I want it for my, my, my uh, golden months or years. Um, so I can struggle with insecurity. It seems like that's a natural position for, for elders, for, for sure, but it's, it's, it's not... Uh, unique to us. So God, we're worried about starving. We're worried about eating well. We're look we're worried about the reputation that I can't make it, that I haven't been able to pull this off, that that I could be tossed out on the streets when I'm older or I could suffer. But Jesus is teaching that and, and look I know this with my reasonable prefrontal cortex. He is teaching that only God, heaven, can be trusted. And so we worry. On the one hand, 
I profess faith, I believe it, but on the other hand, something in a different part of my brain, no doubt, worries that God isn't enough, or he doesn't love me enough, or he'll drop me at the time of my greatest needs, and I'll have to fix it on my own. So look, what I've just described is I'm serving two masters, uh, different parts of my brains, perhaps. Uh, my prefrontal cortex says, God, and my amygdala, where the fear cycle hits, is, well, yeah, maybe not. Maybe God's dropped you. Maybe, all right, maybe you, you haven't been faithful enough, and maybe you're being punished, right? All of those things. So listen, so hear this. <laughs> all right, I'm going to be a little tongue-in-cheek. The fix is not to tithe more. All right, that's that's where the sermon typically goes. I'm not going there. That you need to tithe enough, and then somehow God will favor you with with security, and He'll give you daily bread, and it's, it's that tit for tat. <laughs> and here's the tongue in cheek: if you disagree with me, and you're going to get, if you're going to stay in that guilt cycle and feel like if you only did it enough, and God would remove your insecurities, and the reason that you're insecure is that you haven't done enough. If you come to that different conclusion, and I can help you somehow relieve that guilt. Uh, give you a place to tithe, man, go to my website and knock yourself out. Dump as much money as you want there to help relieve you of guilt. <laughs> I am kidding, by the way. Uh, I am kidding. Well, sort of. No, I'm kidding. Listen, may I tell you, be the first one maybe today to tell you, if you did that, God won't be any more pleased with you than he is right now. Jesus purchased that. God can't be more pleased with you than he is right now. But I'll like you a lot better. So if that's worth it to you, then go for it. But that's not Jesus's point. Though it's certainly been preached that way in pulpits throughout the land for centuries. Instead, do this. Access faith. That's the fruit of the Spirit faith, Ephesians 5. Did You know, you've heard me say this before, that faith, the fruit of the Spirit, is translated faithfulness only once in the entire book of Ephesians in most translations. Though the word for faith, pistis, is used over 20 times. It's faith. It's this ability to rest in the arms of God, to trust God, so that my insecurities disappear, at least for a moment. Faith is a fruit of the Spirit in your inner being. It is God-sourced. Now, there's human faith, uh, and believe me, that's questionable. I think that's what Jesus is talking about. But his faith, God-sourced faith, accessed by faith through the Spirit of your inner being, just trust God significantly more than your paltry, beat-up faith, which you do by choice. I'm going to choose to believe. So your faith and, and mine serves two masters. And it has both feet firmly planted in two camps. There's the, I believe God will provide, la, 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 la. And the second one is, man, I don't think God's going to provide today or this week or this year. I better figure out how to invest my money so that I can control my fate in the future. And I can finally hear God say, oh, you're such a good steward. I'm so proud of you. It's confusing, right? And look, anytime you land on both sides of the fence, you are going to feel pain. You know what I mean? I'm just saying. So here we go. I don't mean any judgment. I'm in this boat too. I struggle with this on a daily basis. And, and, you know, I don't think Jesus is letting those poor in spirit on the hillside off the hook because poor in spirit 
poor people spend a great deal of time dwelling on the insecurities of being broke, the fear of not surviving, the, uh, the, the need to be a lone wolf. And at the end of the day, you rely on yourself. So it, it's, this message is for the poor and the wealthy, ultimately. Shakespeare wrote, Whilst I am a beggar, I will rail and say there is no sin but to be rich. And being rich, my virtue then shall be to say there is no vice but beggary. I mean, it's, it's, uh, we all do it. And in this Christmas season, I would be amiss to not bring up Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. The moral of that story is happiness is far greater than wealth. And, and no doubt that's true, but that is also not Jesus' message. Happiness comes from trusting him. It's a relational thing. And that trust must be accessed from his spirit alone. Like I said, your existing trust, your choice to uh, to trust is corrupted, so stop it. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell, the author, wrote, The scholars who researched happiness suggest that more money stops making people happier at a family income of around $75,000 per year. I think with inflation, that's probably up to 100000 <laughs> After that, what economists call diminishing marginal returns sets in. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell. You know, I think that's where we are, and particularly Christians. Jesus might have have said that worldwide diminishing marginal returns have totally set in. And that leads to insecurities. That leads to wondering if I've done enough. That leads to fears that I'm a failure. And the cure, beginning of the cure, is to access faith through the Holy Spirit, ask for it, and do what that faith demands. And it will it'll look like following him and trusting in him. Okay? We're going to pick up this theme a little bit in Matthew six twenty-five to 34 in the next podcast, and I'm titling it, What Me Worry? It's a very important and timely message because today anxiety and worry and hopelessness and fears are skyrocketing. What does Jesus, the, what is his message to those worried people on the hillside about some good news and, and how do we access it today, tomorrow, and the next day? And also, check out our Advent series published every Saturday until Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve, we're talking about the shamed priest Zechariah and the Christ child. Very important gospel message. And I know you don't have anything else to do on Christmas Eve, right? And help us get the word out. Thank you uh, for your comments, bill at gospel-app.com. We thank you ahead of time. Until then, take heart, child of God. What do you do when your world is falling apart? How do you march when it would be easier to stay where you are and die? Join me every week on the March or Die podcast, and we'll discuss that and so much more.